0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide.
0: Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of my Ion Travel podcast. As more and more Americans hit the road, this is surely looking like the summer we rediscover our own country. And on this episode, I went to Wilmington, Delaware by Amtrak to check out a great historic city. Joining me is Wilmington Mayor Mike Pazicki on how COVID-19 has actually accelerated change in the city, not to mention the Biden effect, that it's Biden's home state. Then Stephanie Lampkin, the director of the Jane and Littleton Mitchell Center for African American Heritage. And she's talking about a rich history dating back to 1639, with a few surprises. And if you're looking for true Americana, then look no further than Winterthur. Chris Strand, its executive director, on the almost overwhelming collection the museum possesses. This museum and gardens is so large, it even has its own volunteer fire department. So you know we've got something to talk about. First
2: up, the mayor of Wilmington, Mike Pazicki. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home? at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Joining me now, the second
0: term mayor of Wilmington, Delaware, Mayor Mike Pizzisi. How are you? Great. Nice to be with you. You know, when we think of, of cities in this country right now, you've had a chance, in a sense, and not, not just Wilmington, but everywhere, to do a reset, to do a do-over because of the pandemic. Uh, you can figure out what your goals are, how you can meet them. Yeah. Um, in terms of travel and tourism, it's an opportunity for people to, for the first time in a long time, whether they planned it or not, to rediscover their own country.
3: Yeah, I would agree. Well, it's fu- it's funny. I think the the pandemic has forced all of us to kind of reevaluate all aspects of our lives that we just Took for granted were are uh, going to be as they always were, and <clears throat> you know, all of a sudden, we find that uh, that all the old norms are changing. Uh, kids' attitudes about uh, their obligations are changing. Employees uh, employees almost feel that working at home is kind of a a semi entitlement in a way. You know that it's happening so much that people start to uh, ask about working at home as if that ought to be an option that is not questioned by an employer employers at the same time are saying i think i can save a lot of money by reducing the amount of space we have in our in our rent check every month so let's start allowing people to stay at home and that's that's changing there was a uh, uh, i'm trying to remember the the author now but uh, uh there's a book called post uh, corona and the thesis of of the book by scott galloway was that all the change that was going to take place over the next ten years has taken place in one year, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it. I mean, a year ago we never would have imagined that that telemedicine, distance learning, working at home all would be kind of normative in the way we deal with them. And so, and the, so cities are the cities are most impacted by this. So, for example, you know, if you've got large educational institutions, you're not, you're not sure if kids are coming back or if they're going to be distance learning. And that really impacts local economies. We have a wage tax, as does almost every major city in America. And that wage tax gets impacted when people work at home. They say, I'm sorry, I work and I live over in Maryland somewhere. I don't need to pay a wage tax. Well,
0: you know, from a travel and tourism perspective, your tax base gets hit hard. Yeah. Um, If people are going back to work, people are trying to get out of their leases commercial office real estate is not exactly thrilling right now. Don't have to remind me. I I, I just did. <laughs> but on another level, and you, you know, you talk about the 10 years compressed into one, I'm I'm one of those people who actually is betting on the idea that within the next year we may go to a 4-day work week.
3: Yeah, no, I I don't think there's there's no outrageous idea that shouldn't be considered. You know, it's uh we've just reevaluated all of our norms. And there's, you know, the so some of the things you read about is that employees have more strength than they've ever had, more leverage, more strength than they've ever had in our lifetime. Uh, I'm looking at you. You're younger, but you're not a whole hell of a lot younger, you know. And so, um, you know, we've watched we've watched these relationships over the years, and it was always employers had the upper hand, and except for strong union uh, periods of time, which have been a long time now, you know, they pretty much set the rules. And now you get the sense that that power has shifted tremendously. And there's a there's kind of a social attitude that's changed. There's clearly a political uh, there's a political leverage that employees have, and in the real world, employers can't find employees, so they're running around trying to do everything they can to keep them happy.
0: And we're seeing mobility at, at rates we've never seen before. <clears throat> absolutely, people absolutely are traveling, but they're traveling. They're leaving.
3: Yeah, they are. There's no well, you know. There of course now the uh, the cities around America are saying. If you're gonna if you're gonna work away from the office, live here. We'll pay you ten thousand dollars to live here. I forget. I did, did I just see Tulsa is paying oh, yeah, yeah. paying a fortune free people to go live? Come, if you're gonna work if you're gonna work distance, be here. You hey, know, it's, Barbados it's did it. I mean, did the Bar really,
0: said, "We'll give you a one year visa. Just come out and hang out here." Yeah.
3: So who would have imagined? Who yeah. would have imagined when this all started that these things would have happened at a scale that that promised in
0: some measure to upend our kind of normal our social norms well speaking of upending if we were talking a year ago Wilmington was just Wilmington now it's the home of the President of the United States
3: you know there only been 46 and we got one I was uh, I, and, and he's a real special guy he called me the other day we we had an unfortunate incident with some of our police officers getting shot. And the president of the United States called me up and asked me about them and how they're doing. <clears throat> and we talked about we talked about a whole bunch of things. The president and I shared a dormitory. Uh, we lived, both lived in the same dormitory back in uh, the dark ages when we were both in school.
0: By the way, let me just put this in perspective. The population of Wilmington is 70,000. 72,000 okay? people, yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Every, just about.
3: Ev- everybody, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a little uh, saying that we use about Everybody, you know, (laughs) probably can't repeat it here, (laughs) but it's, uh, you know, everybody's related, everybody dated, you know, that kind of thing. And so everybody does know everybody. I knew Jill before I knew knew Joe before I knew Joe. So you know the
0: secret history of his dormitory behavior.
3: (laughs) Well, I must tell you, the funny thing about the president of the United States is. When he was, when we were in school together, I was a football player and I would roll out of bed in the morning like looking like I just got out of the hamper. And every time I saw Joe Biden, he always looked like he was going on a job interview. And I was I was thinking, like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> he's just a guy that was always prepared for, uh, uh, you know, uh, he was trying to meet his ambition. And that's just Joe's who he has always been. He's also. The greatest retail politician right there with Bill Clinton, I guess, that, you know, anybody's ever seen. He's just uh, when you meet with him, you feel like you're the only other person in the room. And that's when the secret of his extraordinary success. And um, I would never bet I would never bet on Joe being able to do what he did. And I'm in awe of the fact that he did it. I mean, and I told him that the other day. I said, I just, I cannot imagine. So, And I also, on days when I'm sitting here whining about how difficult my job is, I think of a Joe Biden, who is three years older than I am, and instead of tackling one relatively small
0: city, he's dealing with the entire world. Well, speaking of upending, now that he's president, how has that impacted Wilmington? Uh,
3: it's transformed us in... Uh, in so many ways. First of all, you know, uh, stature is a function of perception. And I think people look at Wilmington as they, for years, we looked at Wilmington as a corporate capital, a chemical
0: capital, right? The banks were here, the, the corporations bank, were incorporated. Credit card capital,
3: that's right. So there was kind of a mystique about it. Um, but then all of a sudden, now you're the home of Joe Biden. And th- now there's, there's a mystique and, and a curiosity. And, you know, there's just this kind of subtle elevation of our I guess of our brand, and uh, people think of us in a different way, and, and we. How get are they thinking of you in a different way? You know, I think. Uh, g- good question. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say. It's just that we get calls from people we never got called from before. So, for example, we have investors coming into the city at a higher rate than ever before. That's not just because of Joe Biden. I don't know, but it certainly didn't hurt. All of a sudden, there's a credibility to the city that i'm not sure people were aware of we're always that city between new york and dc on i-95 somewhere and now we get people coming by and wanting
0: to invest you take a look around the city by the way your branding message is not we're on i-95 no
3: that's true it's kind of it's time you know it's time for uh, for everybody to recognize this great little city that we have here and it you know we're like any other city we're not without our our problems but when people come to visit here they're generally they generally are surprised at what uh, an attractive city it is how clean the city is you drive around you go you know there's not a lot of trash on this place it looks pretty nice and clean and uh, there are a lot of beautiful parks and public and you maintain
0: the older architecture
3: <clears throat> we have yeah there's no question about it so uh you may know um that I was the director of the Riverfront Development Corporation for 20 years. Uh, that started in 1996. I went through 2000, <coughs> 2016, so a full 20 years, and it was just an old, dilapidated uh, World War II shipyard that has had to date about a billion and a quarter dollars of investment and it is really, it. It is really, um, it's been transformed tremendously, and it's a nice, it's a nice addition to our urban core, or downtown, for years, we kept talking about the spine of these two areas uh, having a common spine so that people
0: would just, there'd be a continuum between the two. When we talk about your location, Mm -hmm. you have an airport. I've actually flown into it, but privately. Mm -hmm. But now you're going to get some air service back, right? Yeah. I mean, you had Delta here, but they left.
3: Yeah, we had, from time to time, we
0: have somebody. We're talking about Newcastle, right?
3: Yeah, it's Newcastle Airport right nearby. And from time to time, uh, someone says we can make an economic go of having an airport that is uh, within a half hour or less of Philadelphia Airport. And for whatever reason, and I can't tell you why, it just hasn't worked in the past, but we've got somebody else coming back again. Yeah, Frontier. Uh, Frontier's going to come back and, and try it. Do this again, and we're happy for that. You know, it just gives us another opportunity for people to come in and out of this. Uh, I don't understand the economics of the of that industry. It baffles By the way, me how the they can make it. Industry doesn't work. understand the economics <laughs> well, of that industry because you know it's hard to figure out how you make it work for ninety dollars a ticket or something like that. But um, can I tell
0: you how they make it work for ninety dollars a ticket? Yeah. Here it is: <clears throat> airline tickets get taxed at a huge federal excise tax. So if I sell you a ticket for a dollar, mm-hmm. but I charge you three hundred dollars for your bag. The bag doesn't get charged at federal excise tax. The bag gets charged at local state taxes. I'm making a lot of money.
3: I wonder if I can figure out how to do that in the city here. <laughs> what, can I, what, well, can I,
0: what can I slip past the goalie here? That's right. <coughs> uh, gas at a, at a gallon, but parking is $700. Yeah, there you go. See, you're in. Or maybe not. But I didn't come in by plane this time. I mm-hmm. came in on Amtrak. Of course, Good. I arrived at the Joe Biden sta- so, uh, yep. station. When was that named after him?
3: Oh gosh, I'd have to think it's within the last ten years. I think
0: because um, he he was called Amtrak Joe, still is for a reason.
3: Well, it's interesting. He and Tom Carper both spent Your other our senator, senator spend uh, you know every day on the on the train. So it's we're a train town. Joe likes to remind everybody. You know, we have always been a train town, and uh, we were once the ninth busiest train station in Amer- America. So um, you know, we, we really depend on train travel. And it's always, you know, it's kind of funny every time I listen to this debate about whether they should support Amtrak. I don't, I don't understand how you're a grown-up country and not have, and not support a
0: really vibrant uh, rail system. Well, we, to put this in context, and we forget about this all the time, the trains built America. You know, Mm -hmm. Dwight Eisenhower said when he was president, you know, we didn't build the interstates, the interstates built America. Mm -hmm. That was right, but before that, had to come the trains, and that's what did it. Well, you we talked tell, about history we to, before. We used to tell time by trains. We had it was called railroad time. Right. If we told time by trains today, we would never even do the show on time.
3: Well, I think the uh, yeah, that's funny. And remember, they, they had all the different uh, time zones too. I mean, they right. I mean, it wasn't just the three or four time zones that we have today. There was there were time zones all over the place. But the uh, the story of the railroads was remarkable. The story of the overbuilding of the railroads, the story of the boom and bust of the railroads in the late eighteen hundreds, and I mean, it's a fascinating story. And it's the amount of people who lost money betting on railroads was another story all by itself.
0: But and you know, we have to put that in perspective because if you take a look at just the ridership numbers that Amtrak's had, Mm -hmm. let's not forget, let's not talk about service Mm -hmm. or schedule, but just their ridership numbers, they're an essential link.
3: They are, and what's remarkable is it's not inexpensive. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's especially if you go if you go first class. You know, uh, it gets pretty pricey, but still very, very important. And it seems to me that should be a priority when you talk about infrastructure. That should be an essential part of our in- infrastructure discussion.
0: Well, that brings up high speed trains because we're the only country in the world that really doesn't have it. No, I know. Um, you know, because the tracks are controlled by the freight lines, and they could care less about high speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet here in the Northeast Corridor. This is the one area of the country that Amtrak actually makes a profit right? yeah. between Boston and, and uh, D.C. And, and yet they, they, they can buy all the train stock they want, but if they can't fix the tracks, yeah. we're not going anywhere.
3: Yeah, it seems silly. And it just it falls in the same category as, uh, as our bridges and our roads. And the number of, of those that infrastructure that's really substandard in a country like ours, it, it, it makes your head hurt some days.
0: For people who've never been to Wilmington, um, and let's just say I haven't been, of course right. I have, right. but if I came into town today, what would be the one thing that would surprise me the most?
3: I, you know, it's funny, I think of it, um, it surprise you the most, I think people have pre- preconceived notions about cities uh, as such, you know, it's a, um, and so all cities feel, they have a, a big city feel for good and for bad. You go to Philadelphia, you know it's a nice city, but you drive through the city and you find that some of the streets are almost impassable i don't mean to be disrespectful to my neighbor up the street but it's it seems uh you know some parts of it are really nice and some of it look like they really need they need to put more money in the maintenance of the city or the cleaning of the city or whatever it is it seems that there's a density and uh, and a a little bit of a, a rough edge to it in some places you come to Wilmington, you really everything, everything is in really pr- pretty good repair wherever you go. You know, we'll, the, the things that our our neighbors complain about, uh, really just minor, minor problems for the calls you get in the middle of the night about a pothole on a road or something so like that.
0: So basically when they call to complain, you tell them to go to check out Philadelphia.
3: <laughs> no, and I, you know, I don't I mean, want to get it. I have been a, disrespectful, it's okay. <clears <clears <throat> I don't want to get a call from Jim Kenney. But yeah, you know, the bigger cities, uh, the bigger cities for their appeal, they also have a real downside. It's, I, don't know, I can't even imagine what it's like to, uh, to be the mayor of a city that size and deal with all the, all the problems. Here, what's, what is different about Wilmington is I literally, honestly, can walk my entire city in an afternoon.
0: We talked about the city itself, infrastructure, systems, but let's talk about specifics. If I'm coming for the first time and I'm going to ask you to give me your favorites here, where am I going for breakfast, where am I going for lunch, where, am I, where are you taking me for dinner, and what are you going to surprise me with?
3: oh yeah okay you know my favorite uh restaurant in the in the city is bardea it's uh it's right up on right over on market street they're new about the last two or three years uh, and i didn't Italian. know you were going
0: to say that but i had dinner there last night well and it was I, great
3: i hope you enjoyed it yeah. i did and um <clears throat> here's something to know about wilmington you asked me about breakfast yeah. you know I've been a cozy corner guy forever, up on Union Street. All right, and what
0: am I going to find in Cozy Corner? Oh, it's just
3: a—it's a steak and eggs place. I mean, it's—it's it's nothing special. It's so basic that that's its an endearing quality. You know, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just—it's just a perfect little place to sit and have breakfast.
0: So basically, you can walk in there and say, "I'll have the regular." Yeah, <laughs> there you go.
3: And then down on the riverfront, there's some real nice restaurants. And uh, so, lunch treats, you know, Iron Hill, Big Fish, they're, they're great restaurants, do very, very well. And, um, and I'm very proud of them because I l- honestly crafted each lease and, and financed each building, and so it's been a- So you have no
0: difficulty getting a
3: reservation? No, I don't. <laughs> I one of the few advantages. The thing I, you know, the thing we talked about before that, uh, that I failed to say was people come bit, visit Wilmington and they will say, I love this about Wilmington, and I'll find it that it's outside the borders of the city, it's out in the county. Well, you know, Wilmington, as such, is a larger footprint than the city, you know, so even Longwood Gardens, which is up the road, people think of as part of Wilmington, it's a big, uh, you know, a DuPont company product right across the line, Pennsylvania, Uh, you know, uh, Winotur and Hagley are, these are all outside the city, but they all have Wilmington addresses, so people just say that's Wilmington. And frankly, it makes perfectly good sense to do so. We, there's nobody who says, whoops, that's a dividing line. So you're outside the city, you don't get credit for that. It's, you know, all, all part of a big, a big, the same hole, you know.
0: So I'm going to give you freedom for three hours. You have three hours free in Wilmington. Where are you going?
3: Well, I personally, uh, I love the riverfront. I love going down to the, uh, the Russell Peterson Wildlife Refuge. I don't know if you've been there yet, but it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful destination. It's at the end of a two-mile river walk, which has been extended another six miles to go into Old Newcastle. It's a beautiful walk for people like to bike and uh, to bike, or to just take a long, long, long walk. Obviously, to seven or eight miles. Uh, that's a treat. Uh, you should never miss Hagley. You should never miss Winnetka. Uh, and while you're in the neighborhood, you know, you ought to get up to Longwood and see what that world, world-renowned world garden is. And then the city itself is, you know, there are just so many nice places to go. There's so many nice restaurants and, and sources of nightlife, the Queen Theater. Those kinds of things are really, uh, we have choices today we never had before. Let me just say, Wilmington was a corporate town forever. It was a DuPont corporate town it was DuPont. It was Urkel's. truly a company town. Oh, it was an unbelievable co- it was, And it was more than company town. It was a corporate town. And c- by corporate, I mean kind of stiff-collar, you know. I worked for IBM in the old days, and they would say, you have to wear a dark suit, a uh, white shirt, uh, and a sincere tie, and 12-pound wingtip shoes. I mean, that was kind of the, the uniform. And if you wore a blue shirt, uh, my boss would ask me, when was I working at the gas station? You know, that kind of thing, like the Sunoco thing. Well,
0: I think that corporate you're really dating yourself when you say San yeah, you know I, I
3: mean, yeah, of course. I I'm like I do it all day long. I'm old, but you know, um, but that corporate culture uh, kind of defined the city. So it wasn't a it wasn't It wasn't an, an artistically uh, daring city it just was kind of a staid group and then as the DuPont company lost its influence and ultimately left the city itself Hercules left MBNA came and then went we had Bank of America you're starting to see the city grow up in a way that is really exciting it's young people defining what the city looks like it's the kind of things you see in big cities all over the country and that's what we that's what my hope is that's what my aspiration is that we get the crazy kids going out there and doing what kids do and you know daring with their art and their music and their fun and their inventiveness. That's what you want in a city. That's what cities are.
0: And doing all the things you did in the dorm with Joe Biden. Correct. <laughs> well, what I did, he didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, have the statute of limitations expired on that?
3: I think they have. So you're free now. Huh? you yeah, okay. are definitely free.
0: Okay. <laughs> My thanks to Mayor Pazicki. Delaware may have been one of the original 13, but along with that distinction comes its own African-American history. Stephanie Lampkin takes us back to the future, starting in 1639. We are in Wilmington, Delaware, in fact, at the Hotel DuPont here in Wilmington, a hotel that uh, is over 108 years old and uh, has done really well. But if you're a history buff, you know that you know, Wilmington in Delaware, one of the original 13 colonies. Guess what? The history still lives on. And joining me now is somebody who knows a little bit about that history. She's the director of the Jane and Littleton Mitchell Center for African-American Heritage, Dr. Stephanie Lampkin. Doctor, welcome.
4: Thank you for having me. You know,
0: I look around, I I can walk probably 40 feet from this hotel, and you'd have something to tell me about the history of this city as it relates to the African-American experience.
4: That's right. So down at the Delaware Historical Society, one of the newest parts of the organization, is the Jane and Littleton Mitchell Center for African American Heritage. We opened in October 2016, and we have a core exhibit called Journey to Freedom, which explores Delaware's African American history from 1639 to the present.
0: You know, I, we were just in, in, in Selma, Montgomery, Alabama doing this show, and we were at the Dexter Avenue Church where Martin Luther King preached. And I'm old enough to remember when a lot of those churches were getting burned to the ground during the Civil Rights Movement. And the, and the preacher there said to me, take a look at where we are. We didn't get burned down. I said, was that because Martin Luther King was preaching? He said, no, just the opposite. We were so close to the state capitol, that it was too close. They couldn't, they, they, they were just worried about burning everything down, right? And then he said, no, look up the street. And there's the capitol building. He said, that building was built by slaves. And so much of the architecture, so much of the building to this day contains that history.
4: That's correct. And actually, when you walk through our exhibit, we do feature a segment called Wilmington 1968. And speaking of Martin Luther King Jr., after his assassination, there was a nine-month occupation by the National Guard in the city of Wilmington. And that may sound surprising. Wait, wait, wait. That does sound
0: surprising because Wilmington is not a big city. It's not. So what, and what, why were they occupying?
4: So it seemed to be a pretty extreme reaction, at least when we look at the documentation of those who experienced that moment. But as a result of the assassination, there were protests as well as peaceful demonstrations that took place in Wilmington. Um, the reaction was quite strong. And so our exhibition, you can see the photographs as well as the headlines and the media coverage of how people reacted in that moment. You can also uh, see oral histories as well of people remembering what it was like in Wilmington under that na- occupation. For well,
0: I will speak for myself. I was alive in 1968, and I remember that after that assassination that the National Guard was deployed all over the country and it was like a, it was a hammer the hammer came down uh, as American cities li- literally erupted right but when you think about where we are here in terms of Wilmington's history in America uh, in terms of the development of this as a, as a country how many American presidents were slave owners
4: excellent point and we challenge people to ask themselves these questions especially with the state of Delaware being the first state um, one of the things that stands out in our exhibition is you'll get surprised by some of the facts in terms of the past of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were not ratified in Delaware until 1901. So when you think about some of the timeline that we're looking at for Delaware's African-American history, you'll find a number of surprising facts.
0: And of course, given what's happened in the last six or seven years, I can go another 60 feet from this hotel, and there's no longer a statue sitting up there. Tell me about that.
4: <laughs> that's correct. So last year, during um, the number of social justice protests that occurred throughout 2020, one of the statues here in the city, a statue of Caesar Rodney, was actually... Well, that's Rodney Square. Yes. Um, was actually removed um, as a result of asking these questions. Um, now, he
0: was considered a patriot. He was considered one of the fathers of the country, if you will, even though he wasn't one of the original presidents,
4: right? That's correct. And an enslaver as well. So Whoops.
0: <laughs> there's, a, there's that. Yeah.
4: So now that we're asking ourselves these questions, you know, who writes history? You know, who has the right to tell these stories? And how are these stories being preserved and shared?
0: Well, actually, I, I'll give you a better question. Who rewrites history? Because, you know, you read the textbooks of the 50s, then you read the textbooks of the 80s telling the exact same story. Not exactly. Right. You're right. So how are we rewriting history now?
4: So our exhibition, Journey to Freedom, when we think about Projects like the 1619 Project, right? Our story starts in 1639, um, and we highlight things uh, at the Underground Railroad and even Delaware's place in that narrative um, as being one of the more significant contributions um, to, to the state's history.
0: Not to mention Harriet Tubman. That's
4: right. Uh-huh. Now, how
0: does she involve herself in Delaware?
4: Absolutely, so we actually uh, held an event last year with our partners um, down in Dover, uh, where is which is one of the cities connected to uh, the Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman's story. So it was an excellent opportunity for us to share that history, um, as well as work with our partners.
0: You know, so much of great travel experiences has to do with storytelling and who's telling the story and how well they tell the story. What's the story that you tell that surprises your visitors the most?
4: So for us, there is a story to be told. And I think incorporating that into some of the landmarks that you see throughout the state, some of the historic homes, historic properties, um, we're working hard to continue to collect that story, continue with research, building our collections related to Delaware's African American experience, and also creating events for the public where we can share this new research that we're finding.
0: Can you do a walking tour as well?
4: You can. So if you are interested in learning more about Market Street, um, you can certainly... And by the way,
0: Market Street is right here, that's where, where we are right now.
4: Yes. Um, you can sign up through the Delaware History Museum uh, to take a tour of... Uh, the. And it points out the historic, uh, some of the buildings and businesses.
0: Because if you were, our, were, were to go walking down Market Street right now, so much of that architecture, so many of those buildings have been preserved. They go back 100 to 200 years. Every one of those buildings tells a story.
4: That's correct. And Actually, the Mitchell Center for African-American Heritage is part of the larger Delaware Historical Society, which includes the Delaware History Museum, Old Town Hall, Willingtown Square, and the Research Library. And those are all historic buildings.
0: And after I come out and hang with you, and after I leave my experience with you, what's the one enduring message you want me to leave with?
4: We always encourage our visitors to see themselves in in the history that we're sharing. So while our focus is Delaware- That's
0: asking a lot, by the way. <laughs> no, it is. It yeah,
4: is, yeah. and while our focus is Delaware's African-American history, there are many themes that will resonate with our visitors. Sometimes they even literally see themselves in the historic photos that we have featured in the exhibit, and they it, it brings about a memory that they then share with us that connects them to the history we're sharing.
0: Are you guys also working on an oral history project as well?
4: We certainly feature oral histories in our exhibit exhibition, and we are working to do more of that kind of work. That's something that's really passionate about for the Mitchell Center.
0: My thanks to Stephanie. Now think about 1.5 square miles of museum and gardens, and an eccentric collector named Henry Francis Dupont. Yes, from that Dupont family. And then, get ready. More than 90,000 unique Americana items on display. Textiles, ceramics, and especially furniture. Chris Strand, the executive director of Winterthur, has his work cut out for him. One of the reasons why you come to Wilmington is because it's such a manageable destination and it offers so much. One of the things that it offers is probably the premier museum of American decorative arts. Uh, They've got an unparalleled collection of nearly 90,000 objects, I counted every one of them, uh, made or used in America since, get this, sixteen forty. And joining me now from the Winterthur Museum is Chris Stant. How are you, Chris? Very
2: good, thanks, Peter. That's that's a staggering number. It is. You it's... could probably rotate
0: that exhibit for the next thirty-five decades.
2: It would be hard to see it all. That's for sure.
0: So, what is it that you know that is particularly American that that you are being able to show people that they had no idea about?
2: Well, you know, if you walk into the DuPont dining room um, and look on the sideboard there, there's six Paul Revere tankards. And I don't know if you can see six Paul Revere tankards anywhere else in the world. Uh, Most people haven't even seen one. Right. Mr. DuPont was collecting these items when maybe American decorative arts weren't the most appreciated. So he was able to assemble a very sort of unique and really probably unparalleled collection.
0: And the other thing is, when you think about a museum, you think about a structure, a, a brick buildings, we're talking
2: a lot of land. We are. We're about one and a half square miles. So uh, I mean, you've got meadows and woodlands and ponds and waterways, animals too. Absolutely. So if you drive in the main entrance gate, you'll see merino sheep grazing on the front pasture. Make your way down into the property and ultimately see the house, which is 175 rooms, which is what contains Excuse that collection. Excuse me one second. How many rooms? Right, 175.
0: What's the heating
2: bill? I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, you're right. I mean, heating and cooling and storing and dusting and imagine your own house. Now multiply it by a, a hundred.
0: But this is formerly. It was Dupont time.
2: Absolutely. You know, they've lived there since the 1830s and started in a fairly modest house by our standards, 17 rooms, and it grew over time to be 175.
0: Talk about an add-on. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. They were constantly adding on, right?
2: They were, and Mr. DuPont was probably the most extraordinary, uh, you know, reshaper of the property in adding the house and the barns and the agriculture, uh, as well as the 77-acre garden.
0: And he was a collector. That's sort of an understatement, It went way beyond Paul Revere.
2: Absolutely.
0: What was was his biggest collection?
2: That's a good question. You know, he started as a young man collecting, and if you look through the museum, it's everything from ceramics and textiles, paintings, as well as furniture. I think we're known for the extraordinary furniture among furniture collectors, but I think every— For example, I go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They have the American Wing, and you see
0: the original colonial
2: furniture there. You see it here, too. Absolutely. Actually, he he put it together in sort of composition. So every room is this sort of unique composition, whereas you go to a big museum, you're sort of looking at an item. At Winneter, you go into a room, and you may have 250 objects. So he's
0: actually, he's actually staged the room.
2: He did. Yeah, he was the little, original house stager. There are little brass tacks in the floor that you can still see, which is where he wanted the furniture placed. Really? Yeah.
0: But, but he had the real estate to play with.
2: He did, and play is maybe a good good way of describing it, because I have the feeling that his entire life was spent playing with these items, playing with the estate, and trying to create something beautiful.
0: I'm assuming that he also had somewhat of a sense of humor, or at least in terms of adventure, in rearranging things or surprising you with things.
2: He did. You know, I think that uh, to many people, the house itself is a bit of a surprise. If you look at it from the outside, it doesn't look like 175 rooms. It's nine stories from the lowest level to the top, and it, it barely looks like but a nine stories building. in the
0: state of Delaware, given the, the time he did this, was unprecedented. Absolutely. I'm amazed. Uh, quite frankly, I'm amazed it didn't burn down.
2: Well, that's a, he, was, he was very fearful of fire. We have our own fire company. There you go. <laughs> it's still to this day? To this day. We still have a volunteer fire department. Well, I'm a volunteer fireman, so i got to go check
0: those guys oh, out. Oh,
2: absolutely. That'd be great.
0: Unbelievable. But then you have the gardens.
2: Yes. Um, uh, I guess people don't really realize he was trained as a horticulturist. So he, uh, he studied at Harvard University to become a horticulturist, and he returned to the estate and created this amazing garden in addition to the collection. How big is the garden? Well, technically it's 77 acres, but we sort of look at it as the entire 1,000 acres. Because you're working it all the time. Absolutely. And the biggest surprise in that garden? Maybe the biggest surprise is that, you know, if you visit other gardens, you're used to seeing tulips and uh, annuals and that sort of thing. We maybe have one pickup load of change out in the display a year. Uh, everything that you see in the garden comes back year after year and has done since Mr. DuPont's death in 1969.
0: And how many people have to work to maintain all this?
2: Well, at its peak, when he was alive, he had 89 horticulturists. I wish I had that today. 89
0: horticulturists just for the gardens? Yes,
2: Wow. And today we have 18. Uh, so we have some very busy horticulture. All right. So I asked how much the heating bill was. How much is the water bill? Well, one thing that's interesting about Winotur is that we actually um, we produce our own water. We actually produce about a million gallons of water a day for the Brandywine right off the estate. How are you doing that? It's basically unbounded groundwater. So one of the reasons we're a nature preserve is to protect the water quality of the brandy wine.
0: It's impossible for anybody to see all 175 rooms in one visit, two visits, 10 visits, 20 visits. How long did it take you?
2: It's taken me, Oh, I've been there 16 years, and I'm embarrassed to say I probably haven't seen every room. You're serious? Yeah.
0: So probably there are a couple of bodies buried there you haven't discovered.
2: Well, and I just don't know if someone sits in the chairs or sleeps in the beds. I'm I'm sure they don't, but uh, I would love to see every room
0: everybody has a rumor about it being haunted, is it?
2: I don't think so. but there are a couple spots when you take the tour that definitely the guides have said, be careful when you're in this spot. Uh, it, it's a little spooky
0: so there the rumors are true.
2: Oh, there's definitely a lot of rumors at Winniur. there there well the truth about the rumors right. There are folk tales that go back many, many generations when you go there and you're there every day. What's the feeling that you get? It is the best commute you could ever want. Driving into the estate and sort of winding your way in, you can feel your blood pressure uh, go down immediately.
0: And it's open to the public?
2: Yes. You know, we, we allow our members to come almost every day of the year. And we do close briefly for two months to do a lot of maintenance and so forth to the general public. But for the
0: general public, people listening to my show right now, how do they, how do they access it?
2: I think the easiest way is to visit our website. If you visit which our website, is, which is? It's, it's wineter.org. And, and, if you and, visit you're, it, and you're a non-profit? Absolutely. Um, We support two graduate programs we do conservation for objects from around the world we're a non-profit with a very uh, philanthropic mission
0: and the other thing is you know you mentioned 175 rooms you also have 118 buildings
2: yeah i know that's uh that's part of our cross to bear uh and some of them are for example the dairy barn is a remarkable dairy barn but we don't have a dairy herd anymore so we use it for storage and we allow people to visit it because it's a beautiful building chris you need cows we do
0: My thanks to Chris Strand, to Stephanie Lampkin, and to Wilmington, Delaware Mayor, Mike Pazicki. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news updates, it's an easy choice to make. Just log on to PeterGreenberg.com.
1: Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at
0: clearme.com slash peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.